Welcome to the Authentic Deb Podcast. I'm Debbie, and I'm your host for All Things Authentic. This podcast exists to bring people just like yourself from all over the world to share our stories, laugh at ourselves, and encourage each other along the way. Get ready to laugh, cry, and be empowered, but most of all to be you, because being you is enough. Well, thank you for joining another episode of Authentic Deb Podcast. I'm really excited to have Anka Herman with me today. Again, I met her online. She's fabulous. And I'm just going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her. And we'll see where we go. So Anka, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So yeah. Um, Well, I don't know, like (laughs) I've been around for a while, so. So I'm going to make this make this brief. Well, I, I grew up in East Germany and I always mention the East because, well, yes, uh, <laughs> I, I'm showing my age here. I did grow up behind um, the German wall and that tiny little country, it really had quite, it sort of shaped where I went with life because it always felt limiting. You know, it felt as if you're like a big body in too small a cage you know, and you just can't sort of spread out. And and I never appreciated all the safety and security, that little uh, path that was mapped out for you in that system. You know, the job security and, you know, like you went to school and then you would get some, you know, 100% sure you'd get some professional education. You could get into uni or maybe, but if, if you don't get there, but then there will be something else, like you have a professional education and, and then there was a 100% guaranteed job after that. And that stuff that I never really appreciated, you know, all I could see the limitation in that. So, so basically first chance I got is <laughs> out of there. That's interesting. How old were you when you left there? Uh, well, when I, well, there were two years between me kind of making a move, trying to get out and then two years to actually get out. I was 24 okay. by the time I got out. So pretty young still in our emotional development or our development of how we appreciate things. I like what you said about what I heard you just say was the positives of the culture, the lay of the land is as far as being behind the wall, that there was some positives, but you wanted to get out because you felt boxed in, right? And now that you're on the other side, there was some good things about that, that in outside of that, that we have to, for most countries, I think, um, buy our education and and compete for that job in this and that so there's always a there's always a positive and a negative in anything something you struck me when you said about being in a box i had a um therapist one time when i was dealing with some stuff like most of us and she said it's like you've been living in a one bedroom apartment only to open up your door and find out that you actually live in a mansion and you never mm you never opened up all the other doors to see what is in there. So when we let our perceptions stay in a little circle, even if that little circle provides some comfort, there's a whole other limitless area out there for us to enjoy. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, but I mean, I mean, as you say, like looking back, I, I sort of started to appreciate what I had you know, the upbringing I had, like, like, a, like looking back later and, and one of the qualities that sort of have come basically sort of, you know, as a side effect of, 
of the way we brought up is that grit and discipline, you know, in the sense that in this sort of way, you know, it was basically like a communist system. And the idea was like, your comfort wasn't worth much. Like nobody <laughs> cared, you know, like it was, and it's that sense of, well, okay, that's a bit uncomfortable. I don't really like to do it, but then, well, whatever, you just get on with it, you know? And that's, and that, that, that quality of not being easily discouraged, you know, and just not putting your own comfort above what you want to achieve. Boy, is that helpful when you build a business, you know? Right. Because it's, Mm -hmm. it's what makes you keep going when, you know, when it doesn't really go the way you thought it would, or when it takes longer than you, you think, or when you have to do stuff that you're not really comfortable with, you know, you just get on with it. You just like that, that discomfort, you just don't give it that much meaning. And that's a great point because what I was thinking when you said that, the word you uh, had said grit, I was thinking about a work ethic and persistence, it, mm-hmm. that there's a work ethic, whether it's communist country or, or not, there's a work ethic that what I kind of heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you know the country you were in, hey, they didn't really give a rip too much. It's like, this is how it works. And so you're going to push through and do it because we don't really care <laughs> If you're uncomfortable, this is how our country runs. But I think that that helps shape you for having the determination and the work ethic already installed, and especially with doing your own businesses, which we'll which we'll get into, is that persistence that it takes, mm-hmm. and knowing that even with discomfort, there is an end reward if we just keep going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I used to be really good at delayed gratification. Like as a child, I was the one who's who would get like, you know, chocolate for Christmas. And, you know, the year later, it gone bad. Because <laughs> it was still there. You know, I, I would delay gratification so much that it was just like, well, I would no. eat your chocolate for you. Because that's, <laughs> like everybody <does. laughs> that's kind of a sin to leave wine and chocolate unattended. I just, yeah, well, mind you, I there. wouldn't do that with wine, eh? <laughs> no, wine is to be drank. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Tell me a quick question. How many languages do you speak? Three. Three. What do you speak yeah. besides English? Well, English, Spanish, and German, obviously. German. Yeah. Oh, although, have... funny enough, the German is kind of getting a bit weird because I haven't lived in Germany since 1994, you know, and, and I just... You know, obviously I speak to my parents. It's not that I don't speak it, but just today somebody sent me a message on in German and I responded and there was something like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Like the German equivalent, uh-huh. right? And she goes, yeah, I agree. But boy, I haven't heard that word in ages. You know, uh, <laughs> so- I have to get you to meet my wife, Susan. Now I actually am German, although I speak no German. I'm Irish, French, and German. Um, the... Maiden name on my grandma's side was Von Seltzer. And then they moved. My grandma's gone now, but they, her great-grandparents came to the States and they dropped the Von. So she grew up as a Seltzer. And then she has all sorts of diaries that were written in German about, you know, just how the plagues would take out whole families. But that, that passed down to another family member. So I am, I am German. I speak no German. 
my wife Susan was in the army for years and stationed in Germany for quite a while and picked up a lot of it. And now she's lost a lot of it. So I'm sure she would love a, a FaceTime with you with anything. Oh, absolutely. Just to, because we went off to tell you a funny story later, but we went to Germany and we saw something that looked interesting and she couldn't really remember the dialects of where she was. And she ordered us something disgusting. It wasn't at all. <laughs> so we, it was really interesting. Oh, that's funny. That is funny. Now, did yeah. you learn Spanish because you moved to Spain? Is that what they speak or do they speak Portuguese? No, no, they speak, well, like they speak Spanish and it worked the other way around. <laughs> I'm 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 a, I'm in Spain because I got hooked on Spanish, <laughs> so I was yeah it sort of worked the other way around. Like you know what English we had that at school, and I was always fascinated with languages, like the whole concept of you know talking in some other language. I've I've had I found that fascinating even even like before I ever had the first class of anything, and um, so and that's yeah that's what I went on to study at uni. So like from a uni degree perspective, I'm a translator and and. Um, the Spanish came about just because um, I had this bucket list trip to Peru. I think it was in 2001 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and I, and it was, the trip was weird because it wasn't sort of like a classical tourist thing. It was basically like, it was called roaming tour. It was basically, you know, small group of people, you're kind of on your own, but you have like a, a, a guide with you. You know, there was somebody who knew, you know, and we had to catch public transport to go from one place to another. Mm -hmm. And so basically I thought, you know, I want to have as good a time as possible. And if I spoke a little bit of Spanish, you know, I think I'd have a better time because also we were going to visit places that weren't touristy, mm -hmm. you know? And so I went on the internet like a month before and thought, oh, if I could just pick up a little course to just get some basics. And, and so I found this course, you know, and it was a company in, in Orlando. And, and so it was, they explained their method and I'm like, boy, I am intrigued. Like the way they said they teach, uh -huh. like that is really interesting. Like if they, if they keep like half of the promises they make, this is going to be mind blowing. And so I thought, well, stuff the basic courses, I'm going to sign up there. And I did. And they had like four modules, the beginners, the intermediate and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I had time to stuff in the beginners one before I went to Peru and I was blown away by how far I got with what little wow. I had studied right so that had me hooked to kind of keep studying when I got back just for the pure fun of it yeah and, um, and, and it was a lot of fun because there wasn't like oh there's a uni degree at the end of it or there's some professional whatever it was just for the pure fun of it and sort of the addiction of progress essentially you know and so when I finished all they had all the material they had then I was like, hmm, you know, what I'm going to do with that now? And I was living in the UK at the time. So it was like, you know, the trips to Spain are kind of the obvious thing to do. It was, you know, it's like a couple of hours, two, three hours flight. So it's not a big deal. Oh, wow. And, and so I popped over to Spain, but usually with a bunch of mates. And if you live in London, all your mates are Australian or, <laughs> or British or whatever. So and you don't get to speak a lot of Spanish. And then I went... I thought I have to go on my own and I have to stay in, in a place where nobody speaks English or German. And that's how I came to Granada. And I came to the place and I fell in love in the pla with the pl place within days. And I was like, I want to live here. 
how yeah. how can I pull that off? And so basically, this the moving to Spain came afterwards. Wow, that's amazing. So you, what job were you doing in the UK before you moved to Spain? Well, a little, quite tiny little, like <laughs> a tiny little five year detour is when I went to Australia first, right? Okay. Because I got married to an Australian and um, well, the marriage didn't last, but uh, Australia was cool for five years. And (laughs) so I also didn't last as a translator because it turned out in Australia, it's like really badly paid and, you know, very, it was a very stressful job. And so I thought I I sent out my resume kind of anywhere who'd have it. Right. Right. (laughs) And, um, and ended up in a software company, you know, and got into software development. And I'm like, Oh, I really, really like this, you know? And, so with that whole wave of the late 90s of, um, you know, this whole internet and software, it was just, there was just this boom, you know, and with that boom, I, you know, thought, well, you know, a couple of contracts in London in the UK would be really cool on my resume. And that's how I, you know, went to London to get some IT contracts. And that was planned to be a year and it turned out to be five. So I was based in the UK then in software wow. development. So before software development, before that job, did you have any IT experience or did you just somehow get in on the ground floor and learn up? Yeah, no, I mean, I was lucky in a sense that I stumbled into that company because like some recruiter said, well, actually, because the thing was, I didn't really, I had had one job in Germany, a translator job, and then I went to Australia and then that was overseas. So basically my resume was empty, you know, and and so it was really difficult to find something else because everybody always only asks, like, have you done this thing before? And I'm like, no, right. <laughs> that, but that doesn't mean I'm not capable of it. You know, I could bloody do it. Like, give me a week and I'll fly in this. Yeah, but I know nobody, you could. You know, no, nobody, nobody, like everybody goes for the safe. You know, they want something who's done it before. And so it took a while until this older recruiter calls up and says, well, I've got the job for you friend of mine is the CEO of a software company and he looks, he's looking for an executive assistant and you two would get on really well. And boy, we did (laughs) because the thing was he, I mean, he's amazing. I'm still sort of in touch with him, like, you know, 20, 25 years later, but um, he, he was a creator. He was the one who had ideas and then set up with a bunch of mates, set up a company. And when it was ticking over, he was bored. He already had another project in mind. So he was, when I met him, he was in the process of selling the company. So literally he was on the golf course all day and I had nothing to do. And he goes, no, you'll be fine. You do whatever you want. So I had all, I had literally eight hours in the office and I was in the software company. You know, there were programmers all over, over. there were all the toys, there were all the software. There was like anything, you know, anything I would need. And I just got, you know, stuck into that. But I had all day at work to basically, and he sent me on a conference and he sent me on a course. And, you know, so he was really, really supportive. That's amazing. I would have loved for something like that to happen to me. Mm. I was having somebody ask the other day, one of the tech guys here, like, Debbie, why don't you apply for XYZ? And I'm like, because I know, I know a little, but not enough. And they're like, you totally know enough. And I'm like, but when you look at the, what everybody wants, I says, I would love nothing more than, you know, if I, you know, the ultimate goal is to work for myself. But if you're working in what I call corporate America here, I would love nothing more to be doing techie geeky stuff all day and really sharpening my skills than, than doing, 
you know, what I'm doing. And he was like, you totally know enough. And the other guy was like, you know enough. And I'm like, you know, but you said something that's so true that I kind of want our listeners to hear is that really anything is possible. And I think that I know I've been stuck in the rut of, I don't know enough or uh, somebody like Anka or somebody with a big resume is going to come around who has all the school, has all this. But you said something like basically that you could do it. You could learn anything basically. And yeah. that's, that's how I always feel about myself. Whether I want to learn something is completely different from can I learn something? Because I, I think that we have an endless capacity to learn but it's almost like we're stuck sometimes in the, you know, we talk about being in the now, right? Being present, being in the now, being thankful, but we get like stuck in the now in a negative sense. Sometimes like I might not have all the tools right now, but I believe I can do it, but I don't know it all right now. So I'm going to stop. So it's almost like a double edge. Yes. It's very true. Yeah. And actually, you know, get that get back to it because you said Uh something that I'm like, Oh yeah, that's kind of sounds like me. You know, I, it never occurred to me when I started to poke around with like, Oh, I kind of really like this, you know, and I had, you know, I had supportive colleagues where you could ask. I mean, we didn't have the, the there wasn't the internet like like it is right. now. You know, I spent all my money on hundred dollar books to kind of study stuff. <laughs> I remember. You know? Yeah. I know. You know, DOS and, for dummies. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't me who said, "Oh, let me get a job in this." It was not me at all. Yeah. I just loved doing it. You know, and I got involved in some projects and they put me in the, in the research and development, you know, team after a while, you know, where I got to play all day. And one day, exactly what happened to you, a colleague would come and says, you could do whatever, you know, industry exam, you could get a job at this. And I'm like, nah, you know, no way. And then somebody else would come and says, why don't you do blah, blah exam? You could get a job at this. And I'm like, nah. You know, I really didn't, it didn't even occur to me, right? And it took a few people saying, well, you're good at this. Like yeah. you could, you know, do the exam, you could get a job at this. And there were like two things that I didn't really see. First of all, I was like that. I was like, I'm a language girl, you know? Box I mean, I was yourself. always, good. you know, well, I was always good at maths, you know, like I'm, I'm you know, I, I am structured like that. You know, my dad, my, my grandpa, they're all engineers. So, so I kind of knew I had that, but what I imagine that I'd be up against little hacker boys, you know, kids who'd been, you know, writing games from the age of 14. You know, I'm like, how on earth am I going to catch up with that? You know, I thought I I had, I thought not that I wasn't capable, but I thought I had too much to catch up for that to be, you know, for, for that to be kind of somehow feasible. And, and the other thing that I was really hesitant about was like, do I really want to work in an all male office? And, 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 but then there was like somebody and then somebody says, well, why don't you? And I'm like, you know what? Let me just take that exam. You know, let me take the exam because if I don't pass that, then it's off the table and, and, you know, whatever. So I took the exam, I passed the exam, (laughs) you know, and then it was like, well, and then it was this, this, um, contractor who says, oh, well, actually this friend of mine has started a a new software company and you should like, I'll get you in touch. I'll get you an interview there, you know? And then I thought, you know what? Stuff it. I'll just give it a try. 
I'll yeah. try it out. And I was like, because who knows, you know, it's like, it's my assumption. I assumed that I would have to, that they might not recognize me or that I'd have to be twice as good for half the recognition or something like that. But I thought, well, you know what? I'll just give it a try. And if I find that I, that it's too much of a struggle and that the guys are just like idiots and it's too hard, then well, you know, I can always come back and get a translating job. And that's why, that's why I ended up going there. And it turns out it was all assumptions that it was all like, that was like lesson, huge lesson. You know, it's like, don't take your assumptions, you know, as if they were true, because like none of the things that I feared were actually true. Yeah, that's that's a whole podcast in itself, isn't it? You know, the the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've heard that. um, No, I haven't, but it's fantastic. uh, And there's a couple acronyms that go with it is uh, face everything and recover. Like if you're or uh, or or, uh, the other acronym is F everything and run. So, you know, are you going to face everything and re- recover from your perceptions, from your trauma, from your childhood, from that bad marriage or whatever? And I'm not discounting any of those things, but that we have a choice. We can just say, forget it and run, or we can face whatever the fear is. Um, uh, and a lot of that fear, a lot of time, I believe, is self-doubt. You know, and I'm speaking to the choir. You know, I never speak about something if I've never gone through it, I'll say I've never gone through it. But usually if I speak, it's because I, I've, I've lived in there or I've written a chapter of that book, you know, the worldwide book of low self-esteem or not valuing yourself high enough or believing in yourself when everybody around you is believing in you and, and, and making that transition from being in the now and the not yet, you know, it's mm-hmm. like uh, really um, um, amazing. Uh, you know, it's like, I could go out right now and put out a bunch of resumes uh, and maybe something would click, but I'm at the same point of, you know, I'm three years from a little small pension. I'd love nothing more than for the podcast and the other things I'm doing to take off so I could even leave before that. But now it's to the point of not believe it's not about not believing it's about in this season right now with insurance and, you know, 57, like, do I want to start all over in the corporate world? And it's like, yeah, not really. <laughs> not unless yeah. something came and literally landed in my lap that was so good, you know, I couldn't pass it up. But I, I think what I'd want our listeners to know is that you don't have to be a math whiz, engineering whiz, three language uh, speaker like Anka to go out and really do what it is you want to do. And I think part of that is like your, uh, I want you to talk for a minute about your passion uh, business and like where you zero in, because I think that um, doing what you love is so important. And I think that's part of it. Like the, even your name, the passion business podcast is like not just a business podcast, just not going out and starting something because you don't like your day job. (laughs) <laughs> but doing something that you really enjoy. So why don't you um, fill us in on that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's, you know, like I, there, there's a book that really, st- like really struck me. And it's, an, it's by an Australian lady called Bronnie Ware. And it's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Right. Oh, wow. And so she was a nurse, you know, and so she spent a lot of time with people in her in their last, you know, weeks, months, whatever. And so she put together a book and there was basically the, the number one regret people had was 
not having followed their heart, not having done something about that dream they had, you know, and, and then there they were and it was too late, you know, and that was the thing that people, wasn't what they did, it was the stuff they didn't do, you know, and I think there's really that, for me, there's this sense of, boy, life's too short to just go through the motions and do something that you kind of just count the days to Friday, you know, I think that is just so, sad. so sad, you yeah. know, and and so when I had that idea of, hmm, how can I pull off to living in Spain? Obviously, the next question was like, okay, how would I make a living? And I thought, hmm, not quite sure, you know, the IT industry. Well, I don't speak Spanish well enough yet to just get another job at a bank in, in, in Spain. And I'm like, well, would I want that anyway? Because I could also see that the software industry was changing. It was going towards outsourcing and what used to be a technical project was like all the opportunities were in the direction of project management mm -hmm. and sitting my ass flat in meetings is just not my thing. Right. And um, so there was really that, hmm, yeah. And then there was also the thought, as you said, like, hmm, now I can still pick up a project pretty easily, but, you know, 10 years down the line, I don't want to be 50 and send out resumes for programmers jobs, you know, right. where the guy who reads it is 25 and wondering what this grandma wants here, you know? <laughs> so there was like, okay, it's, it's kind of time for, you know, it's a good time for another change of tack. And then I, what I did, it was like for the first time in my life, which was weird, that it was the first time kind of that late in life that I thought, well, if I didn't have to worry about anything, if I could do whatever I wanted, what would I do? And I was cutting a dress on my dining table and I had some flamenco music playing in the background. And I'm like, yeah, that, like I knew it was a, you know, it's like I'd have, and I'm not interested in the fashion industry. You know, I wanted like a sewing studio where it was like made to measure kind of stuff, you yeah. know, where it was that personal create, like, out of an idea creating right you know an output for somebody individually and then there was like hmm so now what exactly is stopping me and I couldn't think of anything so you know as crazy as it sounded with that kind of like you know life's too short I don't want to look back here always wondering what life in Spain would have been like you know I thought well I'll give it a go and see what happens and if it doesn't work out then at least I have it out of my system like that's really how I went into that and and looking back it was it was a passion for it it kind of pulls you through the difficult times you know because it because you really then after like I went in there with total naivety mm -hmm. you know like I all I all I could think of is I just need to find some poor idiot who buys a skirt I made you know yeah that was kind of my that's the, that was sort of the short-term goal they go that's the first thing I have to figure out and then sort of take one step at a time, but then to keep taking that next step, you know, and, and it, and it always sounds so romantic. Oh, she just went to Spain, started sewing business. It's like from me arriving, you know, I, first of all, I took two years before I actually moved, you know, I, I kept on studying Spanish. I took classes with a dressmaker who had the kind of business that I had in mind. So I did kind of organize stuff a bit. Mm -hmm. And, and from the time I arrived, to the first big order where you kind of thought, well, actually, you know, that like is something here. Uh, took about 15 months. Yeah. Did you 15 work in between months. that? Like outside? Well, the yeah, line? yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually very lucky because when I went to resign from my job in London, you know, they said, well, 
oh, we kind of knew you're crazy, but we didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> so when I left out and then a couple of days later, they called me back in and I'm like, uh-oh. And they said, well, why don't you work remotely? You know, That's and awesome. look after, look after. So they gave me a contract for nine months, you know, so I had nine months contract to kind of find my feet, which was like, you know, made a huge difference for sure. And I think that's important too, because a lot of times we hear stories, like I know for me, especially when I was younger in my, in my thirties, especially forties, <laughs> that means I'm older. I would listen to people who went and did something that I would think is extravagant or whatever. And it would really resonate in my spirit. You know, I'd be like, Oh, and I'd almost feel like a grief because it wasn't so much that I wanted to be a dressmaker uh, because believe me, I would screw that up, but <laughs> I no, for real. Um, uh, but I would, there's that thing in me that wants the freedom to go. And I always looked at people like you and other people, like on this big pedestal that they were some big magical creature that I could never attain to be. And like, why didn't I have that in me? And, you know, and that's a process of learning that you can, but I think a lot of people, and I know that we're going to talk about money blocks next week but i know for me a lot of the, the the first thing that stops you was the money because a lot of times when you hear stories we don't get the backstory of how did you make money while you're doing it a lot of the things that are on the internet or with motivational speaking hype you up hype you up but this is just my little vent. They never really talk about, well, actually I did have to work through that or it's not all, you know, roses. There's, there's work and there's preparation. Yes. I took the leap, but not very many people take the leap and just live on the sidewalk and make these things happen. Some have lived in their car or whatever and made it happen. But I think we need to hear more of these are the steps I took to, to do this thing that if I know that resonates in my soul, it resonates with many people's souls just to, to do what you said. I'll have to go get that book. In fact, I think I'll put a link in the show notes. Like don't have regrets, live your life without regrets. But I think money and time and trying to figure out how that happens. So maybe that's a different podcast we can follow up with. How, how do you actually do those things so that you can keep the dream alive? Because I know I have stopped myself over the course of my life probably multiple times. And I have a spouse. So what we do has to be together. I just can't go up and say, honey, I'm digging Anka. I'm going to go live. We're going to go live on the beach with Anka now. And we're going <laughs> to go create this awesome uh, retreat thing, uh, a whole business, which is something I want to do. It's been a dream. And she'd be like, excuse me, because she would think, okay, our house and our mortgage and the dogs. And and I do too. You know, I'm not picking on yeah, her. No, yeah, of course. A lot of us go through that. And I, it's so true because I've actually, I've created videos about that, you know, and I have like a, a whole kind of, you know, podcast video thing about like how I really started the sewing business because That's it awesome. is always, you know, there is that bit that, you know, all of a sudden, like out of the blue, she decided she wanted to live in Spain. It's like, yeah. And I'm, I always say like, you know, be bold, but don't be stupid. You know, exactly. so it's like, I'm always the first thing is like, you know, don't go live in another country and then start learning the language. That's like a really right. inefficient way. Like deal with that. Like, you know, learn the language. And then, yeah, I took classes with the dressmaker and, and I went on, on countless trips to explore the, you know, the, the place and where I'd live and how, you know, so I would countless trips and, and I took a couple of years, you know, before I actually, you know, made the, made the move. And even then I had the, the, um, that contract, 
you know, and I had right. savings. And, and so it's like, now the thing is, even when like a, a good example is the, is the Spanish even, you know, like at the end of that course I took, you know, I was kind of like, hmm, I'm getting a little bit grumpy look, thinking of universities, you know, that you kind of waste six years or five years of your life to come to this degree. And after nine months doing this, I feel more comfortable, more fluent in Spanish than I did leaving university with English. And I'm like, that is odd. And, mm-hmm. but when you look, when you actually look at how I learned Spanish, it was like, I don't know, I spent like 10 or 15 hours a week studying after work. You know, right. I'd get home at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then I'd study then until 10. Right. You know, that's my and life that's, right now. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. It's like, that's what you have to do. You know, if you don't like, you know, sometimes you see like the, you know, the, the famous fashion designers, like flamenco fashion designers. Yeah. But they've got like, you know, the husband's got this big company. And so, you know, they can pot around and do the thing, you know, like if you have a job and, and I've seen it now again with that transition from sewing into coaching business, it's been the same long days, you know, because while you have this, then you have to at the same and at the time when you then actually tired and everybody else goes, Oh, let's go out. You go, no, no, no. I'm going to be here and I build my business. And that is like, and that's my choice, you know, and that's why I'm thinking the, the good old East German, you know, whip discipline, grit, whatever you want to call (laughs) it comes in, makes that easier or makes it possible, you know, where you're comfort and I'm where I'm like the looking at delayed gratification. I want to build that up. So that I can come scale this other one down, you know? Exactly. And I think that's a good ending spot. I think we need to do another podcast about that, that very, that very thing. Um, So I'm going to give you your hot seat questions. Now, one of them you kind of already answered, but think about it. I had written these before we got on. It's a quote that I've read. I have it on a copy cup. I don't know who said it, but you've alluded to it. It says, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? I, I normally don't relate to that question because I always <laughs> go for it. Do whatever. Like, I, yeah, I don't. You know, I never mm. look at. I don't well, know, that's I don't okay. Care about so you just. Oh, well, that's why I said you. I had written that down before, uh, but yeah. you've already kind of answered it. You just do whatever's on your heart to do. I think is what. Yeah. What and I always. Do. Yeah, I just don't look at. I don't look at failure as something to be avoided. Right. It's you know. Exactly. It's just. A, it's just. A, sometimes it's just a stepping stone. You know. I guess, and so I, I can live with that. So I don't yeah, mind failure. So <laughs> that was an important quote for me to read several years ago when I first thought about 10 years ago, because it's like, yeah, Debbie, like we were talking about, you know, I'd see these other people and it's like, well, what, what would you do if you knew, I guess you could say, what, what, what would you do if you knew you were actually going to see it happen? If you're actually going to mm. see it manifest, um, what would you do? And then that kind of freed me to say, oh, well, I want to be a speaker. I want to host retreats. I, yeah. I want to speak. I want to do a podcast. This is, look, and here we are 10, 15 years later, and I'm finally doing one, you know, so I'm a little yeah. slow sometimes, but all in the right season. Okay. But next. it's also, oh. Like just one quick question, because like that thing, like I often get that question. Do you think that will work? You know, and I always think like, no, that's the wrong question. The question is, are you prepared to do what it takes to make it happen? That's the question. And is it, is the, is it, are you happy in doing it? Absolutely. You know, are you prepared to do it? And sometimes the answer might be no, you know. And I'm super busy right now. Um, still building things. Uh, but 
uh, Susan asked me the other day, she goes, are you going to eventually start charging people? <laughs> it was kind of funny. And I said, yeah, honey, but I'm, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and I'm learning and we're, I'm bartering back and forth with people and it's all good. The rest will come. But I said, I think the thing that I want you to know is that even though I'm busy every night when I come home, I'm, I'm working towards something and you're going to enjoy mm -hmm. that, you know? Um, okay. Next question. What would you tell your 30 year old self? Is there anything that uh, in now that you're a couple years older than that? Oh, that boy. You would tell <laughs> oh absolutely. I would Saying no is a perfectly acceptable and quite often the kindest answer you can give. Amen. That's true. All right. Third one. You ready for this one? You're in a public place, probably like a line, and there's a whole bunch of people. There's really no way to get out. And somebody next to you is just ripping a bunch of farts. You can barely breathe. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> this is the Authentic Deb podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I really can't get away, I would just, I just block my nose and breathe through my mouth okay. and forget about it. Okay. I just want I just, to know. I know because I just wouldn't, I, I'm like, literally, I, do, I don't, because like, <laughs> if it's that bad, I don't think saying much would really help, you know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you move your place in line. I just wondering, you know, all right, today you get to ask me any question you want. <laughs> um so yeah where do you see yourself in a year where i see myself in a year is um doing retreats um even if they're just weekend retreats i see myself being invited to speak at other places really building the uh podcast and having um probably on patreon having having donations for that and through the podcast really building um a base of people and really, really what uh, speaking and hosting retreats, things like that. Very cool. But Anka, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your businesses, what you do, and then we will provide all of the details and the links in the show notes as well. Yeah. Well, um, at the, I'm, I'm, the sewing, the good old sewing business, it doesn't really exist anymore. You know, like as a cage, like, I mean, it's a bit like that. Like you'd have to come up with a real, cool project for me to want to do it now because um, the focus has totally shifted to help other people build up their business and and it's it's the place where I kind of have that sense of rootedness because of like I get to bring in my creativity I get to bring in my geeky side <laughs> you know like I get to bring in the intuition I, I get to bring in all of it you know to basically help people get over like get the stuff out of their head and actually make it happen because it's that creative process that I've seen play out on the dresses in the software it's always the same process so I'm really good at like knowing what the sequence of steps what makes sense no no hang on we need to go back and that whole process and navigating that to get basically out of that oh I don't know and now I get discouraged and to just kind of you know bloody well get it done and get it right. out into the world and I really really enjoy that and sometimes it's podcasts I have people set up their podcasts you know but but um sometimes the project's a bit bigger it's a whole business but it's that um yeah I in my perfect world everybody does work they're passionate about and I'm right. here to support anybody on that way to do that I thank you so much for joining us. I thank definitely you. see where we're going to do another one. 
So look forward to that. Absolutely. So without further ado, I say goodbye from Houston. <laughs> Hasta luego from Spain. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Authentic Dev Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and connect with me at AuthenticDev.com. There you can book a session with me and request to be a guest on the show. So until next time, this is Authentic Deb signing out. And remember, be you because being you is enough.